Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Chris DeRussia, Chief Security Officer for the State of Michigan. Welcome to Ask the CIO SLED Edition, our state and local program, Chris. Hey, good morning, John. Pleasure to be here. Before we get started on your organization and Michigan's security challenges, and specifically uh, Senate Bill 1846, the State and Local Government Cybersecurity Act of uh, 2019, and other state priorities, I'd like to have our, our, our guests speak a little bit about their background, especially their route to the state uh, CIO or CISO position. It's always interesting. Uh, for example, my previous guest backgrounds were, in particular, uh, the president of NASIO, uh, James Collins. He started as a dental technician in the Air Force. It's hard to believe. And NCI, uh, North Carolina CIO used to be the DMV director, not the CIO for the department, but vehicles, but the actual DMV director. And my pal, uh, uh, Kurt Wood from Massachusetts, my old stomach grounds, I like to say he started his career in prison, but it actually turns out he was a correctional officer and started his government service. <laughs> so anyway, it's all over the place. And uh, just looking at a little bit about your background, it sounds very interesting as well. So why don't you tell us about the, the your career before your appointment? Yes, well, absolutely. So I actually started out in consulting, and I did a lot of international consulting work at the time, um, heavy into telecom and some other uh, fields like that. And I made a pretty big career change in around 2009 when I took a position with the Department of Homeland Security. Um, at the time, I was working for the Deputy Secretary of the Department, uh, Jane Hall Lute, and we, it was a really formative time for DHS on formulating uh, its cyber mission and, and how DHS was going to work with some of the other federal partners like the FBI and the Department of Defense. So. It really um, it took me, I'd always been into IT, but it really kind of took me into the cybersecurity uh, realm, and I chased after it immediately and spent the better part of a decade uh, in Washington, um, you know, working various positions at Homeland Security, and then moving over to the White House to work for uh, the federal CIO at the time, Tony Scott. And that was a really interesting job as well, because I had a purview over you know, we had oversight of over approximately 100 uh, federal agencies, all very different, and you learn about all the unique challenges and uh, solutions. So um, after that, I, I followed my wife to Michigan, where I took a position at Ford Motor Company, managing uh, vulnerability management for the company. And then an opportunity uh, came up to be the deputy chief security officer here at the state of Michigan, which I jumped at. And uh, it just so happened that my predecessor decided to return to the private sector, and I had the opportunity to become the CSO, and I was named in uh, February of this year. And then that was, was that the proverbial nationwide search for that position, or you just uh, kind of fell into it with the retirement or the departure of your predecessor? There was certainly uh, a search, and we, and we put out feelers for, for, for good candidates. But, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to compete in that. And uh, I think, obviously, the familiarity with leadership and with the state having been in the position for several months at that point as the deputy definitely helped me land the top job. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned, uh, I know I've talked to a lot of folks uh, over the years, not only with uh, Federal News Network, but also with Tech Leader TV in California, my television show out there. But And I've been involved with NASIO now for going on, uh, well, I think it's about 
about 30 years, believe it or not. I don't think I've met anyone else that spent any time at the White House. I had, I actually was in the uh, Reagan administration and spent uh, several years in, the, in a White House intergovernmental uh, coordinating group. But it's very interesting to see someone else that spent some time there because uh, we'll talk about this in a minute because there's certainly culture. We, we talk about cultural changes with people going from the private sector into government. But I think, uh, you know, with your background, it had to be very interesting to go from the federal to into the state. Let's talk a little bit about your organization, Chris, how your office is situated in the, the state organization chart, your budget, your senior staff. As I understand it, you're part of the Department of Technology Management and Budget. Yes. So DTMB is the centralized agency here. So we, we moved to a centralized IT model a little over a decade ago. So both on the management budget side, you know, we're providing procurement services, building operations, retirement services, et cetera, to 21 different states state agencies and about 55,000 people. On the IT side, that means that we're providing cybersecurity and infrastructure protection services to all those agencies as well. And then, you know, we have a cone that does application development support, uh, back-end infrastructure, enterprise architecture, et cetera. You know, I'm, I would imagine just like uh, everyone else that the state of Michigan's uh, security portfolio, if you will, and organization has changed considerably over the years. I, I always remember back when I was CIO in Massachusetts, uh, even in, Cal- in California too, at the, in the 1990s, uh, I didn't even have a, a CISO. The position really hadn't been, been created yet. In fact, CIO for states was relatively new. And in fact, the f- person that I always talked about, the person that did our security, you know, he handed out Roscoe cards to new employees and Every now and then, check the computer logs, which he always come across. Came across some interesting developments from the boys looking over some of the professional athletes' uh, tax returns. Uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, he also swept the place out. It wasn't a, it wasn't a position. It was highly regarded, and that's really changed, hasn't it? Oh, it's it's changed a lot, and I'd say we're quite fortunate here in Michigan. There's been a real attention on this issue and this position for at least a decade um, over the past couple of administrations here and continues in the in the current administration. So, you know, actually, I am the, the chief security officer. So in about 2012, they combined that here and uh, put together the security of state-owned buildings and cybersecurity to, to find synergies as we move towards building control systems, becoming automated and whatnot. There's just more and more synergies of having a, a central point for security. You know, I do recall uh, one of your predecessors, Dan Lorman, was, uh, he may have been the first uh, CISO in Michigan. Is that right? He was certainly the first CSO in Michigan, yes. Yeah. You know, by the yeah. way, by the way, let's get our terminology straight. Do you consider a, a difference between chief information security officer and chief security officer? Is there a distinction? Well, I think there is. You know, the CSO position tends to be a bit broader and include things like we have here um, and having some of the physical security portfolios. You may run an insider threat program or things like that. And sometimes those are under CISOs, but, you know, there's just that, that kind of broader portfolio tends to be with the CSO. You know, but I also wear the CISO hat, right? So uh, I, I tend not to correct people when they call me the CISO. <laughs> I also wanted to talk a little bit about the critical success factors of being either CIO, CISO, CSO, whatever you want to call it. But I feel it's very critical that there's uh, there's two parts to it. One is having the, the, an executive champion and the other is having a, 
a governance model that works. Uh, the first, in the first case, I'm always interested in the relationship between uh, the CIO and the CISO and both between them and their relationship with the governor. Uh, tell us, uh, now you're acting CIO, is Jack Harris still acting CIO there? Uh, so actually, so Jack Harris was recently named as our chief technology officer. Um, our state CIO position is is currently open. Uh, actually, maybe a quick plug: uh, it does close at the end of the month, and we are conducting a nationwide search there. Oh, don't tempt me, Chris. I don't think I'm ready to go back to <laughs> Lansing. <laughs> okay, uh, that's fair. Okay, but it's beautiful weather here. Yeah, I guess so. This time of year. Uh, so. Um, with the, tell me about your relationship and your reporting relationship with the, I, I assume you report to the CIO under normal circumstances? That's correct. So actually, we did make a change here uh, in the in the new administration. So so uh, Governor Whitmer came in uh, as the new governor in January this year, and uh, they made a decision to have, to, to break out the role of the director of DTMB and the state CIO. The I think it was the past Two directors it had been combined. Okay. And so we do have a director, Trish Foster, who's been in place since day one. And we're hopefully within the next month or so, you know, we'll have some good candidates and we'll have the CIO. And so we will have the IT cone report up through the CIO to Director Foster and then the governor. Okay. You know, I've always said then, we we talked about uh, uh, Peter, Lam- Peter, Peter Liebert, who's the chief information security officer in California, or was. I don't know that he, he uh, was, is expecting to resign. I don't know if he's gone yet. But we always he talk did about, recently depart. Did he leave? Okay. So that yep. relationship is really important, and particularly when you talk to folks in the private sector. And I've read where, you know, if you're on the board of directors and you don't know the first name of, uh, of your uh, chief security officer, uh, you probably are not fulfilling your fiduciary responsibilities. And I think that's certainly the case in, in, in state and local government and federal government as well. It's really important that, uh, you know, the, C, the CSO has a, has a, a seat at the table. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we're fortunate here that, again, we have uh, a governor's office and a director who very much understand the risks and the opportunities in this space. So, you know, I think that helps a lot. I agree with you. Uh, we've got some good governance structures in place. We have an executive committee that, that meets to coordinate the different cyber missions across Michigan State Police, National Guard, uh, DTMB, and uh, some other groups that are that are key leaders. And, you know, keeps us aligned and so that we're moving together as one executive. Um, you know, I, I just also find that um, having some we have a lot of coordinating bodies uh, across the, the 21 agencies, which is also critical because each one of those uh, agency directors has their own mission and mission needs. And, you know, again, as providing that centralized IT, we want to ensure that we're meeting those business needs, right? And so we have to stay closely coordinated with them as well. We'll take a short break now. Our guest today is Chris DeRussia, Chief Security Officer for the State of Michigan, And you're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Chris DeRusha, Chief Security Officer for the State of Michigan. So let's also talk about your your governance model, and you kind of alluded to it just now. 
Um, as I certainly believe that along with an executive champion, uh, the CIO, the CSO governance model is another most of the most critical elements really for, for being successful. Uh, and I like to refer to it as the strong versus the weak governance model in particular with CIOs, the strong, uh, being, uh, the, the weak one has policy only like many of our federal CIO colleagues in several states, but a strong one has not only policy, but also budgeting approval and more importantly, operations in the CISO's case though, that's a little bit different, but what would you think about budgeting is budgeting something that, uh, is that something that should be uh, allocated over to the CSO to coordinate rather than having it spread out across all those different agencies? What's your view on that? Sure. Well, so here in Michigan, uh, it is centralized, and, and, and I do find that to be a benefit. Um, so I have a, a lot of say over how our budget's allocated for cybersecurity spending across the state. Now, it's a partnership, of course. Um, we've also got a governing committee with what we call the agency security officers from each, uh, each agency. And so we meet monthly, and we're trying to, to make those decisions uh, on priorities and enterprise decisions together as a group since it affects each agency directly. So we get feedback from them. We bring ideas. We have a quarterly strategy session. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do have the centralized power within DTMB um, to, to be making that budget ask. And so I do have that authority under me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that's actually my next question. I was going to talk about the your enterprise governance structure. So you do have these secretariat agencies, if you will, who each have a, an agency security officer, I guess you'd call them. Um, and I, obviously that's an organization which you can coordinate across, across the enterprise. Yes. And so, uh, you know, we get a lot of benefit off of that, uh, from that coordination. And, you know, again, uh, each, each agency has a different risk tolerance. They have different regulatory requirements, you know, at the state centrally, we're coordinating something like 15 different regulatory requirements on behalf of each agency. Um, so we're, we're doing enterprise, but then we have to tailor uh, different security solutions for each agency because some have more stringent requirements and some are very explicit as they come from federal regulatory guidance uh, than others, you know, and, and that can be more expensive. And so you kind of have to find a way to have these trade-offs of, you know, having a common baseline across all of your customers while meeting certain needs above and beyond that. And so it's a, it's a constant, um, you know, just making sure that you're aware of your customers' needs and, and just keeping that constant communication flow with them to make sure you're getting it right. I want to switch, switch over a little bit to the cultural issues that we touched upon just a little bit earlier. Cause I often speak with, uh, with folks who have come from the private sector as, uh, you know, in your case, you were at Ford for a while, but you also have significant public sector work there, especially with uh, DHS and the White House. So tell us about the transition going from uh, D.C. to Lansing. How'd that work out, Chris? Well, D.C. to Lansing is a big transition. Um, you know, for, first and foremost, I used to walk to work, uh, and now I, I commute about 70 miles each way every mm. day. So, so that's been an adjustment. Um, but, you know, as, as far as uh, federal preparing for state, it, it absolutely has helped me a lot. Um, that, that role that I had in Office of Management Budget within the White House 
um, where we had oversight of over 100 agencies, you just you, you learn how to work with all those different stakeholders and, and their varying needs and where they have commonalities and how to tailor solutions to that. And coming here to the state of Michigan, where, again, 20, 21 agencies, um, that maps really well. You know, also, you've got the regulatory pieces we discussed a little bit earlier that you've got to address. And so I, I think that, you know, that experience at the federal level has really helped me here at the state. But I would say that also the, the, the problems that state and then being responsible more directly for that lower local government level uh, have become much clearer for me by being a layer closer to that. Well, let's talk about some of your current uh, major initiatives. I know from looking at uh, uh, what's been happening in the uh, in the past, uh, you had some very interesting uh some interesting programs that you were involved in. I was especially intrigued by the CISO as a service helping uh, local governments and also the your kind of FedRAMP, that uh, Michigan Security Accreditation Program. Tell us a little bit about those programs, uh, how they're operating, what was the what was the catalyst behind them, and what you're doing, looking at uh, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first one you mentioned, uh, CISO as a service. So this was a, a pilot that we ran for about a year and a half where we engaged approximately 12 local county um, stakeholders, and there were different levels, uh, cities, township, municipalities. And we, we hired a CISO on staff because, again, you know, resource constraints, they can't afford to have their own. And we, we brought that system in. We used a common risk assessment model uh, with each stakeholder and gave them a prioritized plan of the top five areas that, that they should focus on. So we, we leveraged things like the top 20 security controls and, and, and built our own uh, risk assessment framework. And, and so that really helped them understand, you know, where they, where they need to apply their attention. And it also created a community um, between them where they could benchmark against each other and then provide assistance to one another. And it created fabric up to the state so we could better understand what problems they were facing day to day, where the gaps were, and tailor and develop you know, new solutions down the road. So, so that's been a big one for us. Um, one you didn't mention, but I, I'd like to briefly talk about because it sort of intertwines, is we also have something that we developed several years ago called the Michigan Cyber Civilian Corps. And so this is an all-volunteer force where these people work at uh, companies here in Michigan, some work for government, some work for the Guard, but they're all highly trained incident response and forensics professionals so that when a local government entity gets overwhelmed with a ransomware attack or something else and needs that help um, getting back up to operations, uh, we can send in one of these teams uh, you know, pretty short notice because we tend to select them uh, from areas where the incident's occurring. We, we look there first to, to, to quickly deploy. And we've had some really successful engagements with that, and we think it's a, it's a great model. Yeah, I guess so. That, that just sounds interesting. You know, it reminds me of uh, somewhat of a program they're doing in California, at least the focus of it. They have the National Guard that actually is kind of their cyber t- cyber task force that they send send in places like this. And and you mentioned, I guess, at the end, there's there's uh, perhaps the Michigan National Guard folks are involved in your corps. Well, so we we're definitely uh, closely coordinated with the National Guard. Um, and some of the volunteer members, I would say, just happen to be guard members because there's a, a number of highly trained 
trained guard members here in the state. We have a couple of the cyber protection teams, both uh, Air and Army, um, here in Michigan. And so, you know, but some of them also work for me on a day job. And, you know, that helps because then they're very familiar with, with government and whatnot. But, um, you know, yes, other states are actually deploying the guard themselves, uh, whether it's been for election security use cases or others. And we're certainly having those conversations here in Michigan as well. I think it, it makes a lot of sense if you have a really bad incident, you're, you're, you're going to need to uh, coordinate a, a deployment. And so we're trying to be prepared on the front end. Um one other uh, thing that I that I wanted to mention that I noticed, I know it's a couple years old now, but that's a, there was a case study on cybersecurity governance in the state of Michigan from 2017. Uh, might have been a little before your time, but obviously a lot of work went into that. Do you can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, you know that was uh, before my time, but I think it it, it focused uh, in large part on you know, how we develop the various um, structures throughout, you know, starting with having that uh, executive governance team for, for the governor so that there's coordinated messaging across the key stakeholders uh, for the governor in regular check-ins with the governor, and then the, the team meeting off to the side to just stay aligned and be prepared for those uh, engagements. <clears throat> there's also uh, a couple of other councils that have been created to coordinate with uh, pub- public sector. Primarily, it's been the healthcare sector and, and financial sector. So, two different councils were created. Um, you know, one of them, the the Michigan Healthcare Cybersecurity Council. So, the state's a member of these of these councils and boards, and they meet fairly regularly. Um, the healthcare council has actually even created their own healthcare security operations center. So, they're they're pooling resources. The big healthcare companies are pooling resources to create those, uh, you know, to address common problems and common needs. And the state has just been, you know, woven itself into the fabric there to make sure that we're all staying coordinated throughout. Well, with that, we'll have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Chris DeRusha, CSO for the state of uh, Michigan. Chris, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you for listening. Thank you, John. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.